Hello and welcome back to the Public Eye Business Podcast brought to you by Granite Exchange. I'm your host, as always, Sarah Travers, and throughout this series, I'll be speaking with local entrepreneurs and business owners to learn more about how their companies have come to be, to gain insight into their growth, and find out, crucially, how they continue to innovate. So wherever you get your podcasts from, remember to keep an eye out for all new episodes and subscribe to stay up to date. So today I'm joined by Maeve Monaghan, CEO of Now Group. I'm going to give everybody a little bit of background before we get stuck in. But Now Group is a Northern Ireland-wide social enterprise based in Belfast, supporting people with learning difficulties and autism into jobs with a future. They also run, manage and own Loaf Catering and Loaf Pottery and Coffee Shop, a social enterprise working with people with learning difficulties and autism. They also offer a range of solutions to businesses, including corporate catering, recruitment and supported employment, social impact measurement and disability awareness customer service training. They team partner with organisations to provide a strategic way for you to have a positive impact on society through your supply chain. Now Group will work with businesses and individuals to communicate impact and demonstrate its value for your organisation. Maeve, I love Now Group and, you know, I've worked with you over the years and I've watched you develop this organisation from the start. Let's find out a little bit about you, first of all, the woman behind it all. Were you, did you start Now Group? Well, I would have been one of the first staff, uh, Sarah, that was employed. So if you think of Now Group in the very early days, it was set up by a group of parents and carers who were based in North and West Belfast and they looked around and they thought when their um, sons and daughters were leaving daycare centres or schools, there was no real opportunities for them. So they set up a project supported by the Health Trust at that time to try to create opportunities and I was one of the staff, first staff recruited on that. So we're having our 21st birthday this year. So I've been there for 21 years and I think, you know, it's been a fantastic journey. But uh, yeah, from the very early days, I would have been coming out of university, maybe worked for two years um, in different support roles so this would have been a a job where I came in at a certain level and have grown with the organisation so I'm particularly proud of it for that reason. So let's rewind again before now group what were you doing? Well I'd really just graduated about two years before that um, with a degree in psychology and it's quite difficult to know when you come out with with that degree what you do next but I, I When people ask me why I've ended up in this role, I think what was very clear to me is I have always had a passion for social justice. Just that idea of what you could do to help people who aren't getting a fair fair deal. So I was always interested in that and and disability in that area interested me as well because I had a number of family members with the different, different types of disabilities. So had a background in psychology and interest in social justice but really looking back I was always interested in making money as well so I would have been always quite entrepreneurial and I tell a a story about in the very early days where I used to gather everybody together in the housing estate that we lived in and, and, and say right come on we'll get together and we'll make some money and we used to get all our mum's handbags and her shoes 
without the permission, I would add, and put them out on a table and sell them. <laughs> so we had, Did you? Yeah, we had jumble <laughs> sales. We used to hire out a roller bits. We had a soda stream. So we would have, you know, made the drinks and sold them to your friends in the area. And there was that feeling of community and, and engagement, but also that idea of making money. And the interesting point on, on looking back was that I never kept the money for myself. <laughs> so probably, I, I wonder why that's happened, because I could have been in a different career However, journey. You didn't sell your rollerblades, you only no. rented them out. <laughs> yeah, I so noticed that. That, that, you that sold entrepreneurial <laughs> thing was always there. So that idea of bringing people together, looking at how you generate income, and then we would have given it to charity. So we've been trying to help on the social justice bit. So coming out of a degree, I was looking for that kind of background because in a careers advisory piece, there isn't a social mm-hmm. enterprise um, strain. So I think we've created that in our group, and I think it's been a great fit. And social enterprises, um, you know, maybe 21 years ago, were yep. there many? around? No, not, not really. There might have been some so- social firms or some sheltered employment um, programs. So there have been a lot of initiatives to try to help disabled people um, get into work. But that model, I suppose, was getting quite dated. And that idea of, um, you know, charities being not for profit and not being allowed to make profit. I think the interesting thing for me is I love making money. It's just what we do with it is different. So the money is generated by the social enterprise and goes back into the charitable purpose. So that has evolved over the time I've been with Now Grip, and I think we've availed off it greatly. And obviously huge benefits then because you're sustainable. You're not constantly going out as maybe was portrayed in the media with the begging bowl and looking for funding. I know, absolutely. And, you know, I would say that funding's needed and there's some amazing organisations who rely very heavily on fundraising and are finding it very difficult at at this time and they need support it. But that model isn't our model. So we would have about 50% of our income from contracts with government and funding projects for delivering certain pieces of work. But at least half of all of our income across now group would be trade-in and I think that's the bit that I'm really keen to get across to businesses. Like, we want to be commercial. It's not the little projects that you deliver that are a nice thing to do. We're competing with the private sector as well and collaborating with them. And I think that's the bit that keeps this industry so exciting. So I touched in the introduction there on, on the range of, of, of services that you offer, but perhaps you could delve a little deeper um, for us. So first of all... Um, you know, you support people with learning difficulties and autism into jobs. Yeah, I think that that's the mission. That is key to everything we do. And I've seen that grow over the last 20, 21 years as well. So at the very beginning, we might have been supporting 30, 40 people. Um, this year, we'll be supporting 2,000 people with learning difficulties in autism. So we've been focusing quite a lot on scale, mm. but scale with quality. So we'll support anybody with any form of learning difficulty or autism. So that could be somebody with a reading and writing issue or communication difficulties right through to people with very significant disabilities. And the interest in that is the model works for everybody if it's developed, if it's delivered in a high quality way. So our participants are our customers and the focus is to deliver the best quality service to them, to partner with business to do that and a focus on paid jobs in open employment. So we're not so keen on doing it within our own sites, although we do employ quite a few of our participants ourselves. We're an inclusive employer. The idea is for our participants to be at the heart of every business across Northern Ireland and wider afield. That's amazing. Um, You talk there because you've got all, you know, a range of of needs, I suppose, there and um, different abilities, capabilities. And I love that, that our participants are our customers. Absolutely. So it's not the person that's eating the sandwich. It's not the person. 
you're yeah. serving them. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely believe, you know, we have a customer focus as well in relation to the people we're delivering services to. So our customers in our cafes and in a range of different businesses. But no, the reason why now group works so well, you know, if you're going to push numbers and look at scale, you have to be very, very careful that you're still delivering an excellent service because I think you do it once and you don't get that repeat business unless you do. And, and a lot of our work with the disabled community and their families is around word of mouth. Mm-hmm. We have a really good ap- uh, reputation for delivering. And I think, you know, even on the jobs piece, you know, we supported over 100 people last year into jobs. It will be 200 people into pay jobs this year. And off that, 83% are retained in their job after six months. And I think that figure stacks up with any private sector or recruitment business. So that requires good quality service to the employer and to the, the participant, the job seeker, for that to work. This podcast is sponsored by Granite Legal Services, a niche business and immigration law practice located in the heart of Newry City. Granite Legal Services provides legal advice to both individuals and companies alike across a wide range of industries, from employment, commercial or corporate law matters to immigration law. Granite Legal Services focuses on providing legally sound, practical advice to its clients. To get in touch, visit www.granitelegalservices.co.uk or contact 028 3026 2200. It is incredible, Maeve, honestly. And when you look at those figures, because I was going to ask you there, how do you measure the success? But you've been doing that regularly. And does that encourage employers to come forward and be part of this? You know, it's a really interesting um, conversation, this, because, you know, being with the organisation for over 20 years, the the conversation has changed. Mm. So I do remember in the early days going to business and saying, oh, go on, would you you create a job? Would you give our participants a chance? And they did. That conversation has flipped now. Businesses are coming to us and saying, who have you got? We need people. We've got, and that conversation is a really interesting one. That's one That's one of the reasons why we started to develop services for business, because I can talk to a business and say, where are you hurting? Where are your skill gaps? Because we have a really, really reliable you know, capable workforce. So we are a, a solution now to businesses who are finding it difficult to fill those skills gaps. So that conversation has completely flipped. And we deliver a range of academies, you know, a, a catering academy, a retail academy, a warehousing one. Um, we also have a digital academy. And that idea of being able to match, you know, train a number of people in one go and match them into jobs has has opened up so many opportunities for us to do business with business. So you've completely transformed, or rather society has completely yeah. transformed and moved from maybe a box ticking yeah. exercise or a bit of tokenism mm-hmm. to Eureka. Yeah. Yeah. And how has that changed the organisation then? Well, I, I, I am an absolute believer in the fact that for our society to work, business, the public sector and the third sector have to partner together. It is not about doing charitable things onto either one. It's a collaborative approach. And I think that has opened up so many opportunities for us now to talk to business about what they want to do. I, I, I find I don't think I really have spoken to many businesses who don't want to help in some way. You know, people in general want to do good things. They're just not quite sure how to do it. And then they have their day job. So the conversations with business 
come now with from two lines. One, because businesses are starting to understand that they need to be more diverse and inclusive. So they're trying to think how they could do that. Another, on the other stream is businesses can't get the people. Yeah. So they're having to look for new new um, supply chain mm. of people. And I think we can be the solution in both of those things, as long as the, the values align. You know, for us, it's really important that when we place people in jobs, they're good jobs mm. and they have a future. And that's one of the reasons why that's in our mission. Well, it's really heartening to hear that the employers are actually coming to you yeah. um, and not with um, doubt in their mind yeah. or feeling that they're taking a risk here. Yeah. Because there you go, I'm bringing I'm bringing bias to this conversation. I would have thought that if you had to manage somebody with um, special needs, yeah. that you might have to make modifications, yeah. that you have to design rotas differently, and maybe that's just too much to deal with. Well, I, you know, you're right. There will there may be modifications. There may and there may not. I think one of the things I find with businesses is they are really keen to help, but you can already see in, in the in the back of their head they're thinking, Oh my goodness, what's HR gonna think? Is this a risk? What happens if it doesn't work? And they are really genuine concerns that have to be talked through. That's why it works. Mm-hmm. That is not a bad thing to have those concerns. It is our job to mitigate against that and also to raise you know open people's minds and raise awareness of the the capabilities that our participants have you know and 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 I I think it's like a matching it's nearly like a matching agency um and and to work with the business as they go along that journey as well you know the retention rate for us is really important if if our participants if 83 percent of our participants are in jobs after six months to a year something's working right and that's because the support is delivered to the participant but also to the business the 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 employer is a customer as well and and they need support to help make that work and you've talked about it's across a a range of of sectors so you actually can meet the the skills shortage gaps in in many different sectors and it's great to hear that you have that support it's not just a case of a recruitment company finding you someone and then you're on your own and you've six months and work it out between you at the end of the day your participant is your customer you need to look after them you look after the employer lots of businesses will will be tuned into this today if they wanted to talk to you about what they could do because they would like to, to help but they don't know what to do, what would you say to them? Well, I would say get in touch and don't be afraid of that conversation. The best conversations with business come when we have that overarching discussion about tell me about your supply chain. You know, what do you want to do? What are you doing around CSR? Does that link in any way to social value? What are your priorities in relation to this area? And, and, you know, what are you doing around inclusion and diversity? And I think what you tend to find is business that, oh, gosh, we need to do this and we need to do this. And that's another thing we need to do. And I think we can ship, particularly with the strategic partnerships that NIGRIP has with certain businesses, we can ship a solution that that meets the needs of the business, but also puts disabled people first. So a really good example of that would be a partnership we have with Galgorm Collection, you know, a, a great favourite, I'm assuming of most of the listeners and mine, <laughs> that that business had come to us because they wanted to do good things. The business was going well, they wanted to invest in their local community. They had um, people needs, so they needed to look at recruitment, and so that's why we've got a, a hospitality um, um, academy that runs into there. 
And they also wanted to talk about supply chain. They also became a jam card friendly business because they wanted to open up the, all of the customer service. They, they wanted to be seen and to actually be a really inclusive, welcoming environment for disabled people and their families. And they saw the business case for that. So it wasn't just about doing good. They understood that it would, it would be a, 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 a USP for them. But also then they provide, you know, they... they um, have our pottery range in their giftware store. They do a bespoke gift every year for the VIP customers that our potters make. We had a, a we carved a unique partnership there that worked for them, and also we have nine people with disabilities and jobs over the next two years with them as well. And so what will they be doing? Range range of things. You know, they'll, they'll probably come through the hospitality. Um, uh, academy most so there may be housekeeping front of house catering wherever they have the needs they'll come to us as a potential um uh area you know we, we have we have a few i think we've got four people placed already there and another five to come over the next year or so and what difference is it making to the people working there and also to the culture of the company and to you know how's it going yeah well you know i I think in particular they are a really great organisation because they're investing in their people as well. So some of the feedback certainly around the the work on the jobs piece and jam card is that you know their staff are starting to realise that they're people with purpose. And you know we partner another organisation I can think of would be Danske Bank where we rolled out jam card right across all of their branches. And the feedback from their HR team was we didn't realise how many of our staff had disabilities or how many of our staff loved people with disabilities. And appreciated us doing that and I think it's that whole idea of purpose for businesses now that's interesting as well. For those of us who don't know what Jam Card is do you want to explain? Yeah I, I describe I describe all of our brands as a family and I think Jam Card what I would call the blue-eyed boy everybody knows about Jam Card even if they don't know about Now Group and it has kind of um, a life of its own so Jam is a card Jam, meaning just a minute or stand up for just a minute. And it's a card or an app that people with hidden disabilities can use to get just a minute of patience if they're on a bus or they're paying at a till or, you know, they're looking for their ticket on a train or, or wherever they may need it. And it was designed by our participants in Belfast just so that they could access the city centre. It wasn't really meant to be more than that, but it has gone viral. And we have about 110,000 jam card users now across the UK, Ireland and wider field. Oh my goodness. And the model is that businesses pay to become jam card friendly. So they train their staff to understand what a jam card is and and have excellent customer service for um, disabled people. And then people with a jam card get it for free. And that has been fantastic. It's right through the transport network across the island. Most of the banks the post offices, the pharmacies, you know, it's right through Lidl, 770 Lidl stores. Uh, it, it has a life of its own, but I think it shows that businesses realise the spending power of disabled people and their families. And what difference does it make to those people with hidden disabilities? Can you tell us any examples of where this has been a lifesaver? Yeah, I, I think there's, a, there, like, there's many mm-hmm. cases in that. I think sometimes it makes it's the one thing, even if they don't use it, having it in their pocket on their app makes people go out and try. Yes, yes, and the I confidence. Think, I think one of the things maybe, certainly with people with high levels of anxiety or you know concern about that, they just won't try because yeah. they're too afraid of it going wrong. You can and understand that. Yeah, you really can. And I think think of all the limitations that puts on your life if you don't feel you can go to your, into your local city or go on a bus. I explain to people, it's a bit like 
when you go to, you know, you get off the airplane on your holidays and you get onto the public transport and you don't speak the language and you don't know how it works and you're expected to be able to navigate yourself to the hotel. That's why most of us <laughs> get a taxi <laughs> or have something arranged because that's quite difficult. And stressful. And it's very stressful. So if, if that communication barrier is an issue, it stops people starting. I, I also would say, particularly on public transport, it can be really good that stops anxiety turning into behaviours that can be deemed to be um, problem behaviour. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's some examples of people where they've missed their ticket and they can't find it and the conductors come in and the anxiety gets so high, how the behaviours look like they're challenging behaviours yes. and that can cause problems where people can be removed from the train or, you know, get get into trouble when they shouldn't be. It's about understanding that people just need a minute. Mm, I remember talking to you before about my late father he had dementia that's right and um there was an incident at an airport in france Mm -hmm. where you went through security separately so mum had to go one way and then it was take it was all at the time take the belts off take the shoes off and he couldn't and he and he didn't speak the language and he got terribly distressed and then they the police came in that's exactly carted him off yeah and my mum couldn't speak the language and uh, yes and if they think of that card thing that could have taken all of that away or just allowed her to be able to say i need to be with him yeah and i think in that sense that's a very i'm just really sad that that happened to your Mm. family it's just not on i think people need to understand that disabled customers are their customers and they need to have a level of care but it's really difficult if you don't look like you have a disability and customer care people are trying to work out what's happening so i think that card helps with that but what's happened on the business side is that card has been so successful businesses have come to us wanting to become jam card friendly and then we start that conversation about what else we can do because it's only really the start of a journey with the right businesses you know you can be jam card friendly that makes you inclusive for your customers but what about your workforce are you inclusive on that side what else could you be doing with your supply chain that adds value and you know in this world where social value is so important certainly in tendering and and, and contracting the conversation is becoming a really exciting one for us. And how do businesses get in touch if they want to know more about jam or want to know about, you know, thinking outside the box yeah. um, and, and maybe recruiting somebody with a disability? Well, we, we have a range of social media channels for that, but I would say the best place to start is a website. So yeah. that's nowgrip.org. It, it links you to all of our social enterprises. And I think, you know, that's, that conversation starts. People don't have to have a very clear idea what they want to do. They just need to say, I'm interested in a further conversation. I love talking to you, Maeve, because I love the passion you have for what you do. Do you love your job? Oh, I, I would I would question whether there's a better job <laughs> about it. I think, you know, you've been, uh, with being there 21 years, sometimes you think, oh my goodness, I'm, I, I, I could get stuck in a rut here. You know, what's the next big opportunity? And I think there's very little opportunity out there like this. It, it's it's growing every year. It's lots of potential for expansion. Some of the most exciting work at the minute is about our expansion into the Republic of Ireland. But also, I think that balance between being entrepreneurial and wanting to do things, you know, being focused on social justice, that link together is um, priceless for me. And yeah, even on the even on the most difficult days and not every day is a good day. I, I think I definitely have the best job going. And and we've heard already about, you know, the thousands of people who are benefiting from Now Group, but um, what about the staff and the team members? Yeah. Uh, tell us about the makeup of those and numbers. Yeah, so we, we've just under 100 staff now. That, that will um, expand quite a lot with two new projects we have coming on the line um, in this year. 
But I think, you know, when I when we talk about customers, we have three customers. There's our participants, there's our customers that we sell to and our businesses we partner with, and then there's our staff. And I have been on a journey around this where I am 100% sure that having the right people in your organization and investing in them drives your mission and your values. And I think we... we um, are really sure that we're recruiting now. We recruit for people with values aligned to, to ourselves and we recruit for grit. And I think that idea of understanding that even if you're working in a, you know, a charity stroke social enterprise, you also need to be able to roll up your sleeves and get involved and do what's asked of you. And I think that's what makes now group staff different. They, they are, they're the ones delivering, you know. And how many do you recruit people with disabilities yeah, how many so would you have we would normally have between one and six of all our staff across now group would have um disabilities and that wouldn't that would be right across the organization and we would be really trying to make sure we're as diverse as possible and can i ask you do you like me asking you that question no i don't mind you know is that something that you feel you have to you have to talk about just to be representative to show organizations but yet actually is it just a case of getting the best person for the job or is it no, still no, a requirement no, no i think we we would focus on it quite a bit okay. even an organization like ours needs to keep an eye on that i mm-hmm. think and, and you know we would be wanting to try to stretch every role and see how we can develop that but also it gives us a really good insight into some of the challenges that come with um, a diverse workforce. Of course. And you I can't think tell others how to do it if you're not doing I, it yourself. I agree. I absolutely agree. And I think we have adapted in many ways. But also, I would say, looking back, some of the stuff, some of the projects that we've been known for leading on, leading on certainly around jam cards, some of the co-design work, some kind of that, you know, bringing disabled people with us wouldn't happen unless we had a diverse workforce. We didn't do it for that reason, but having a diverse workforce makes you more innovative. Yeah, definitely. Um, How difficult was, I I don't want to keep talking about the pandemic, but how difficult was COVID and how difficult was remote working? And do you feel that people with disabilities struggled more with, well, hold on, I can't go to my work. Yeah. How do I do my work at home? Yeah, I I would say, you know, as an organisation, the pandemic was significant as as it was for most organisations, but also we had a catering business that was going really oh, okay. all all mm. you know doing really well on a massive growth thing, and then it just dropped. Uh, so we had that piece to deal with. We had our own team working remotely, so they that's why I say about the value of having great people. They stepped up and put all of their services online, and we had quite a bit of work to look because we we also along with the jobs piece support a lot of vulnerable families through our community. Um, services just trying to keep people safe in their own homes dealing with a lot of the issues that you know people have in families Mm -hmm. and how that has to work was a problem and then I think getting people to understand that the process had changed what they were used to doing wasn't happening anymore was particularly difficult for some of our participants who like routine and like things to happen in a certain way and then Sarah I think coming out of the pandemic was nearly as bad because they kind of got used (laughs) to that routine and now they're having to start to change in that. But, you know, I was in our headquarters in Belfast last week and all our participants were in and we had a graduation a few weeks ago in City Hall and seeing everything. It's coming round again, but we have had to put significant intervention in just to try to make sure that people have the support they need to be well. 
and support well supported um, through this time because so additional support yeah. oh yeah, yeah absolutely for our staff and how have well. you managed as a CEO looking after everybody yeah huge I th- responsibility yeah, I think looking back you, you know it is quite shocking there's a couple of things that were really good I have a very very good executive team and we just went into huddle and got this this work sorted out and I think the team really came together and we were able to keep going which was great I think what we're dealing with now probably is it's, it's the tail end of a bit of burnout where people yeah. just have worked so hard for so long yeah. and into a new year where we're growing again so a lot of the work we're doing at the minute is making sure that we're celebrating that we got that far <laughs> and we did a really good job and, and then starting to look at growth and but do you feel a sense of that yourself yeah I, I, I think I think there's so many opportunities at the minute I, you know everything seems to be all starting up at the same time and my challenge is as an entrepreneur as somebody who wants to develop I see all of this potential but the other balance in my personality is then make sure everything's done right. <laughs> so that challenge all the time, make sure it's embedded, make sure it's quality. People really are getting a good service and then seeing all the opportunities. That's a, that's a rub that, that is, is always in my head. And we've kind of looked over the last while, they've dubbed this era now the great resignation because people go, do you know what? I don't get paid enough for yeah. this. I need to step back and if we could move into that notion of the great recognition and give people the time that they need. I mean, look at even the health service at the minute. People need to stop and they need to rest. They do need to rest. I have never seen, actually I was just speaking about that uh, a few weeks ago, I've never seen so many people in the health service who are so unwell. So we have a lot of work to do to build teams and I think the remoteness has stopped that. So that kind of support you get from your peers wasn't there and we're starting to introduce that back but also people have been really unwell and we had a number of resignations you know once you started unlocking we had a number of people who decided you know they had had other career um, moves that they wanted to do and I think the bit is to say that's brilliant for them but also we have a lot of people who've come to us because they've realised that there's no value in their role. Right, so it's worked. You're it getting worked some people who've left they're, other things. They're saying, look, I, I was working for the yeah. big corporate. Yeah. It was a bit of a grind. Then I started to question, why am I doing this? What am I getting back? Where is my value? Mm-hmm. And that either comes with businesses talking to us about how they partner with us or people coming and saying, you know, can I get a job with you? Gosh. And I think that's an interesting piece for us as well about how, how we take advantage of that. So what advice would you give to someone looking to get into this area yeah. of work, either by partnering through yeah. their existing business or by coming and doing something completely yeah. different and having a job with that purpose? It's wonderful. Yeah, well, I I, th- I, th- I think, you know, think about the things that make you happy. <laughs> that You know, there's, a, there's a, a sector here where you can do a job and you have the added value. Sometimes what happens is people don't understand it as an option because they've been on a career path that's around industry where it's this next step in the ladder and then it moves to this next step and and your recognition is around steps on that ladder rather than the impact you're making so if that's something that you're wanting to look at look at whether you can do that within your own job and lots of people recently are are starting to move that model of CSR and say if we partner with an organization like now group could I use my skills for instance as a, a programmer is there something that now group needs that I'm really really good at that I could give you a bit of time Rather than coming 
my pet hit asking a computer programmer to paint her walls. I'm like, no, I got a painter to paint my walls. <laughs> but you know what? We don't have anybody who knows anything about programming. Mm-hmm. So it's that idea of volunteering through your work in a with way with your that skills, with your skills, and you something you so find really. You don't really need to easy. leave your job completely, no, you but you can you do something to. and be yeah. released by yeah. your employer for what yeah. one day a week well, couple so, of days a month some some well it depends on the employer some people are doing you know hours per month they might do like six hours a month or something like that most bigger organizations have that and even any organizations that are looking at social value have it but the interesting conversation the interesting piece about that is people say but this isn't really volunteering like I do this as a day job and I say you don't understand how valuable it is so something you take for granted is a massive um, added value in an organisation that doesn't have it, mm-hmm. and then in the other part of that, lots of people are starting to look, look look online, look online at the jobs that are available, see if there's a match. Most of the private sector business certainly is transferable now. I think one of the things is salaries can be slightly less in the private sector, but yeah, make your de- decision about you know are you value driven or are you not. But the sector, our sector, needs a diverse range of people from from all different industries. What's the biggest challenge you faced as a CEO? Um, I think that piece I spoke about earlier around wanting to grow but wanting to do it right. So I have never been one for, you know, we're the biggest, we're the best. We're, I just think if you have to say that out loud, you have to question why you're doing it. Mm. I think the thing for us is our mission is to support as many people as possible with disabilities into jobs with the future. So I want to do more of that. I, we want to support 6,000 people over the next three years. We want to create 600 jobs for them. But I want to do it right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest challenge, growing but making sure you're doing the best you could possibly do. And as you grow, then making sure that your team live those values as well. So the control freak in me wants to make sure everything is exactly right. But I started to realise I can't control that. I just need to invest in the right people and the right seats, make sure they're sure of our values and let them get on with it. And do you struggle with that recruitment? Because obviously there's a big safeguarding piece yeah. here as well. Yeah, um, in certain areas and at certain times. So I would say over the last 12 months, yes, definitely. Um, there was just that mad rush for recruitment where everybody was all over the place and it was quite difficult. And that's coming round again, you know, with a number of roles um, out at the moment, um, some in the Republic of Ireland and some and most of them here. And the interest is peaking up again. So I always think things go round in cycles. If you don't do it right the first time, you might have to go round again. Um, you've talked a lot there about, you know, how people what their values are, yeah. what their goals are, what where they're aligned to, you know, what does success look like? Um, and the rewards are huge, I would imagine. I attended one of the graduation cer- right. ceremonies a couple of years ago and I was blown away. And, you know, it's not just because of the amazing, the faces of the participants and their joy at their achievements, but it's that ripple effect through the families. Yeah. I mean, it's not just one person. Yeah. You change lives yeah. of uh, everybody in that family. Yeah, and I think that's the thing that that's the thing that we tell our staff as well when we're talking about the value piece. But I, I would challenge anybody not to have somebody that they love in their family. You know, once you start these conversations, you realise there's very few conversations I have where people don't say, oh my goodness, you know, I have, my son has mm-hmm. autism or did you know my father has dementia? Those conversations start to realise that everybody is bought into, they just don't know how to help. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden you have a significant audience of supporters 
And that's the thing I would say to business. You know, one in ten people um, have a disability in Northern Ireland and then all of their families. And oh. I think if you think of the... One in know, ten. One in ten. If you think of the range of disabilities. Um, and if you and, and I think that, that number is actually on the low side. You know, we have the highest population of economically inactive people anywhere in the UK. You know, so when you, when people talk about unemployment rates being really low, they have to understand that there's a significant population of people who are not in those that data, Gosh. <laughs> who are economically inactive, and a number of those now some are carers and some of other jobs, but most of those people have disabilities. Um, and I think what we're starting to realise is those markets don't know each other, yeah. and we're part of that conversation around it. And it is that thing, you know, if you have a, a child uh, with a disability. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I'm thinking of a very good friend of mine and when she became a mum, people said to her, well, you'll have to stop work yeah. now. No, I love my job. I have, to, I, have to, I have to earn money and keep a roof over the heads otherwise. But there's so many who are forced out of yeah. the workforce. So yeah. then when you get to 18, maybe you've got the special school up until that mm-hmm. time. And then you think, what is going to happen that, that's exactly. to my vulnerable And I think child? that happens a bit earlier. There's periods in parents' life where they really get concerned, and it tends to happen, particularly if people are in, in um, um, you know, a special schools where they're they exit at eighteen or nineteen, about sixteen, they start worrying. They start really worrying about what's going to happen, and the fight before has been around education, getting the right support in the classroom, and making sure the person. Ex- then it becomes, oh my goodness, what happens next? Mm. And I think we provide a lot of that assurance to people to say. You know, there are options there. There is now group and there are other organisations who are doing fantastic work supporting individuals. And then the other area of that, as the, as the individuals get older, they start to think about, can they live on their own? Yeah. Could they actually get a job? Mm-hmm. What will happen? And I think we're part of that conversation with parents as well. And so important that yeah. the wider society is having that conversation yeah. too. It's not just something that happens to somebody else. No, and they have to be seen. So that's the thing. Every we, it's, yeah. it's not a charitable thing for people with disabilities to be included. It's the businesses need to be reflective of the customer yeah, base. Yes, completely. How important are volunteers to what you do? Well, I, you know, right across the organisation, they're very important. I talked about the volunteering that business businesses do. So releasing their staff, like a really good example of that is the ongoing partnership we have with Deloitte, where they have done significant projects with us through the 5 Million Futures programme over the last five years, where they've given pro bono support with areas of expertise into our organisation to help we could never have afforded that kind of work around helping us build our strategy, leadership development, helping with building business plans. It never would have happened. So that has helped with that. But also then we have two of the best volunteers I can think of are a husband and wife team who volunteer in our garden in Crawfordsburn. Oh. And right through the pandemic, every single week, they come, they put in the, the herbs and the, you know, I just saw that the, they have a crop of um, spring onions coming out there in our cafe at the minute. They're doing something with their participants there that ends up on the plate in Love Cafe. And they, it's that ongoing support. So they have a skill around gardening. That garden would have been in, you know, complete disarray by now if they hadn't have been there. So Sid keeps that right. And I think that is the value of volunteering when you get a right match with somebody who wants to help and they've got a job you need doing. And um, so lovely for that couple to be able to do oh, that together brilliant. as well. You brilliant. Know, so and and the, the, it must be maybe four or five years now. So from corporates to individuals, I think giving your time yeah. 
and understanding your worth and understanding yeah. your skills and yeah. that everything mm-hmm. is actually can be put to, to, to good use yeah. somewhere. Yeah, and, and that feeling that it should be mutually beneficial. Yeah. So, you know, for that, for people to volunteer and it to be successful, they give their time, but they have to get something back out of it. And I think that's a bit that's worked very well for us. So you did hint at um, what's next yeah. for an eye group. Um, exciting plans in the Republic? Yeah, absolutely. Um, really, really exciting plans. We're just putting the final... Um, the, the final detail into a new loaf site in Dublin, which will be fantastic. We've been talking about this for quite a while, Sarah, to be honest, and I think COVID hit and it's been on the back burner. So I said to the team, it feels like I've been teeing them up for two years, <laughs> but nothing's happening. And all of a sudden I pressed the, the button on it. But um, Diana, head of business development, her team have secured a contract in um, Dublin in, in the Camainan area for a project that's just about hopefully going to go live at the beginning of July, which is great and that will then start us developing our services down there. We tend to start with a loaf site and then wrap our services around it. So we'll have our cafe and, and pottery operating, you know, pottery products being sold there. Then we'll start looking at our employment services as well. And, and an interesting part of that piece that first piece will be starting to look at supporting people with learning difficulty and autism coming out of the criminal justice system and supporting them into jobs. That's a whole new area of work for us in the South as well, which is pretty exciting. I think that's great. That's a whole other conversation, yeah. but I know that there's a lot of work being done in that area, yeah. particularly by business and the community at the yeah, minute. Yeah, absolutely. The box and yeah. thinking differently. Thinking differently about who can who can you employ, who yeah. can you bring in. Um do you get any time off? People say to me, oh, Maeve, my, my, you must be so, so busy. And I would say, no busier than anybody else. Because if you've got a really, really good team, honestly, they do most of the work. So, yes, I get some time off. We're in the, well, I had time off until we bought a new house that needs a significant <laughs> amount of, of renovation. So there's quite a big um, project going on with my husband and I on that. And I am very involved in the local GA team. So I coach, uh, I, I assistant in the coaches in um, under 12 Camogie. So, yeah, plenty going on. Sarah. You sure do. Yeah. Honestly, unbelievable. Maeve, it's been a joy to have you in the studio today. I can't let you leave without asking you our vital question at the end of every podcast, which is the purpose of this podcast is to inspire existing business owners and ambitious entrepreneurs to grow their business by offering insight into the success of businesses such as Now Group. So what advice would you give, Maeve, to people who may have a business idea but have no idea where to begin or are unsure as to whether it's a risk worth taking? Well, I, w- I would say, first of all, write it down, because I think when you're starting to to shape that up for people and you need to talk to them, you, you need to be able to show them what you're talking about. And I think the other piece I would say, the lesson I've learned in life is don't waste, wait to be asked, because if you wait to, to be asked, it'll never be done. If your gut tells you it's the right thing, write it down, shape it up and get going. Start talking to people about it. Ask people you trust, test it out with them and then get on and get it done. Great advice, Maeve. A pleasure as always. Thank you so much for joining me in the podcast studio today. And thanks for tuning in, everyone. Join me next time when I'll be joined by Karen Yates from Taylor Yates. This podcast was recorded in Granite Podcast Studio. Interested in starting up your own podcast but don't know how? Granite Podcast Studio can help. Record your podcast in our state-of-the-art studio, which is based in the heart of Newry City. Our studio has cutting-edge and user-friendly technology and can seat up to four people. 
We also provide an editing service for our team using your guidance and editing notes to provide you with a flawless finished product, leaving your listeners wanting more. For more information on how you can get started, visit www.granitepodcaststudio.com.